Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's listening to this asynchronously on uh, the Temple Beth Am podcast series. Here we are. The Israelites are still enslaved. They're going to be enslaved for quite some time. And we are in the initial interaction after Pharaoh has uh, increased the labor for the Israelites in response to the initial request to set them free. And we're going to be spending some time in a two or three verse section, which doesn't get a whole lot of play when you're just telling the story quickly. Um, It doesn't get a whole lot of play in the Haggadah, but it's there. Uh, And it's an interesting interaction. The The layer of Israelite overseers, if you want to use more modern language, you know, kapos, uh, who are in between the Israelite slaves and the Egyptian taskmasters and the psychological warfare that is happening uh, in addition to the backbreaking labor. So it doesn't, we don't spend so much time on it, but it's there. And um, and we're going to linger on it for, you know, th- this hour and perhaps the next one. So I have us um, on chapter five of the book of Shemot, uh, verse uh, 12. And I think we read the verse, but I'm not sure we read the Rashi. Um, and we're once again going back into the question of what kash means. Uh, I wonder if Vera is going to be able to join us because I always appreciate her comparing Rashi's understanding of what a word means and what it doesn't mean with modern Hebrew usage, which doesn't mean that modern Hebrew usage is accurate or it's accurate for today. It doesn't mean that it was accurate in terms of what the word meant, but it's always an interesting comparison. Hold on, let me just put on uh, do not disturb. So I'm not disturbed in the middle of this. I can't find it. I have a new computer system and I can't find. Oh, here it is. All right. So uh, chapter five, verse 12. I'll read the verse and then we'll have someone um, uh, read the Rashi. Vayafetz ha'am v'chol eretz mitzrayim l'koshesh kash l'tevin. So as we discussed last week, the Ibayafates, the root is nafats to spread out. Bring in all of our spread out members of community. It's an interesting form. We spent it um last week. It almost looks like a he feel because to spread out would be vayifates. So vayafates somehow something like the 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 people spread themselves out, but it's not reflexive. It's hard to actually translate that into uh one English word. Ever Fox says scattered. Okay. Bechol Eres Misraim throughout all the land of Egypt. Lekoshesh Kash Latevin. We're going to untranslate that for the second. Uh, but but um, a, a reminder that this is one of the common biblical ways in which the verb and the direct object are the same root. They went to Koshesh the Kashash. They went to Koshesh the Kash uh, in order to make the Tevin, right? Uh, and the Tevin is the is 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 the straw stuff that is going to be used in making the mortar. Okay, that's what the verse means in the uh, in the basic shot. Um, and if you just look at Uncleus, um, Uncleus does not retain the matching verb and direct object. The itbadar ama, the people spread out the whole ara de in all of the land of Egypt. Legabava gile. To collect, that gabava um, can be also related to the word gabai, 
I remember that a gala originally was not someone who was calling someone up to the Torah, but a collector, a collector of ta taxes, gilei, you know, strewn about pieces, Lativna. Tivna is the Aramaic for Tevin. So whatever Lakoshesh Kash means, Unkelish divides it into two different words. Uh, Barry, your hands up. I was trying to find the where I'm going to refer to. Uh, initially, uh, uh, the, the, this whole period begins uh, Pharaoh telling the people that the, the, the Hebrews are up in this section next to the border and they uh, may bring in enemies uh, so that they're all condensed in one territory. Uh, here, uh, what's happening is like they've, they've bursting and all over the land. So when the time comes that they're going to denude the Egyptians of their jewelry and their wealth and whatever before leaving, they're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you're right. Pharaoh is concerned both about increase in numbers and increase in um, in, in geography. If you go look um, back at chapter one of the book of Shemot, verse nine, Sorry, first go back to uh, verse uh, 7. Israel paru vayishvitsu. Paru, they were fruitful, they came more numerous. Vayishvitsu, they spread out. It's a different root than we have. Our root is nafatz here. Sharatz is a root that, remember, we're discussing it. it. It's related to the word sheretz, which is a creepy crawly, but it's a creepy crawly, meaning it, it, it's everywhere. They 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 swarmed. Vayirbu vayatzmu, they got many, they got... Um, numerous and um, strong and the earth was filled with them and therefore in verse 9 Pharaoh says Vayomer el -amo, he says to his people as a result of their going strong in number strong in strength and spreading out he's getting nervous this people they're going to be even bigger even stronger than us and he's seeing them kind of take over so he says let us um make a pretense so that we can put labors on them. So it's an interesting contrast that you're raising here, um, Barry, that as a result of Pharaoh's response to the request that the Israelites get out, he puts upon them a burden that forces them to spread out. Now, they're not spreading out and establishing new neighborhoods. They're spreading out to gather straw. But but if you're just looking at as a um, comparing the scenes in terms of geometry right originally pharaoh wanted to do this to them and now you're saying that pharaoh is actually almost forcing them to do that great um, let me just see what the comment was ah thank you okay um so let's look at the rashi on the koshesh kash latevin um and this is mostly going to be a rashi that tells us what he wants us not to think the word means rather than what he wants us to think the word means um renee do you want to read le koshesh kash latevin Okay, so what what do you, Renee, or anyone else think Rashi? First, let's translate. What does Lesof Asifa mean, and what does Lilkot Leket mean? Um, to gather. Right. Gather, so, Rashi gather uses, the gathering of the straw. Right. Rashi uses two synonymous roots where you can also have the object be the same root as the verb to say that what is lokoshesh kash means it means to gather gatherings or to pluck pluckings and i'm sure there are many other better 
um, collect collect collectibles, better English versions of it. Um, when you uh, see the root asefa or leket, does it seem to any of you as a, uh, a specific verb or a generic verb? Does it refer to a, a specific situation or more a general action? I think asefa to me is general. Very general, right? L- literally, yeah. asefa means a gathering. Can you, can you gathering of anything, right? Yeah, like people Ha-ha-asif. too. Yeah, chag asif. One of the nicknames for Sukkot is a reference to the gathering of a harvest. And asefa at camp is when people are all brought in together for an announcement from the rosh machane. So it's just a gathering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and lilkot leket. While there are some agricultural um, associations, in fact, leket is one of the three mitzvot associated with leaving stuff in your field to the poor, the verb just means to collect, to gather. Okay, so what do we think Rashi is doing by saying, hey, reader, that two-word phrase, lekoshesh kash, what it means is, lesop asefa and lilkot leket. What do we think he's saying? Why, or why is he saying it is another way of asking the question. Anyone? For emphasis. So what would he be emphasizing? The gathering. Well, I think that it's really something that they really, really need to do because it's not going to be given to them. So they really, really need to gather. Yeah, I think the verse itself is already emphasizing that, that they spread out to do this action. And I wonder if Rashi is doing something else by linking Koshesh Kash to these two verbs. Joanna, a thought? Not really going in the direction that you were, but I also think that... Um, it would be interesting to like look up in a concordance how often we see the words self, lil coat, and then our word here, leek shosh. I think those other two are far more common. So I think what Rashi is getting at is why don't we just use a word here that would be easy for everyone to understand and grasp at. And I think he's saying, because in this instance, it wanted to move away from a general term to a very specific term about this straw that will be used to make the clay. Um, and I think that perhaps feeds into the story about, um, uh, about how you know, the production is expected to maintain the same and how they will no longer have access to the straw in the warehouse, but have to go collect it. So you know, really pointing in the direction of the story and using a very specific word that applies specifically to what is happening here. Hmm. I have an interesting footnote that says Rashi uses two sets of verb object pairs, meaning to gather a gathering. Uh, Sof Asifa most precisely explains the meaning of kashesh kash, but there's no example of such a phrase in Tanakh. The second set, Lilkot Laket, can be found in the Torah in Leviticus 19.9 and shows that such a verb object pair is possible with reference to gathering. Yeah, so just to focus on what Joanna said first, it's an interesting read on Rashi. It's not my read on Rashi. That doesn't mean it's not the correct read on Rashi. And and in this verse, there are no uh, classic super commentaries on Rashi. So the Gur Aryeh and the Mizrahi and the folks who normally, and the Siftei Chachamim who normally do Rashi on Rashi, they're quiet here. So it's anyone's game. I actually read it, Joanna, almost the exact opposite. Rather than... But by, by quoting lesov asifad lilkot leket to much more common verbs, as you're right, but not saying to us it doesn't mean that, but actually using those words almost as defining lekoshesh kash, I wonder if he's telling us. You reader might wonder, 
if le cochet cache is a very specific verb object um, combination, which literally means to collect only straw. And I, Rashi, am telling you, no, it actually means something more generic. It just means to go collect stuff. And what are they collecting? They're collecting the stuff, litzorech, for the purpose of tevin, for the collection of straw, which eventually will be turned into teat, um, which be uh, uh, not turned into, which would be combined with the teat, with the mud, uh, to make the mortar. Why it's important for him to, w- whether it's whether your read is correct or my read is correct, it's an interesting question on it. Why it's important for Rashi to tell us that? Like, why, 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 why can't we just have the image of, right, you want to read it, that he was, they're specifically collecting straw or they're just going out on a collecting um, adventure and all the stuff they're collecting is going to be, you know, for the purpose of this, uh, this production. I'm not sure, but something tells me that by <clears throat> just quoting the more common and generic verbs, he's actually telling us, even though this verb looks specific, it's actually in a more general category. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, well, unfortunately we can't interview Rashi to know which way he was pushing us. Um, was there another hand up, Barry? Yeah, uh, sort of continuing in the vein where I was uh, previously. Um, so here um, you, you have like a, a million individual hands grabbing stubble wherever they can. But then in an industrial way, but previously the Israelites, the Hebrews just got the straw from the industrial uh, activity of the Egyptians who provided it to them. Now the Israelites have their own industry where they gather, they collect all this stubble into uh, um, large quantities that can be used for the making of the bricks. So they're, they're, they're organizing nationwide an, an industrial process, which gives them the capability later in the story to be uh, of, a, of a greater scale than they were previously just been a bunch of dis- dispersed individuals. Yeah. Thanks for that, Barry. Rick? Hi. Um, just something totally out there. Um, while I was waiting for class, I was looking at Queen Elizabeth. Um, it's 70 uh, years this year that she's been ruling. So I just looked up Ramses and he only met, he only made it 66 years. And uh, her name is, uh, her image is on these coins and, and money all over the world. And Ramsey is not. Um, anyway, then there was this uh, Ozymandias, the, the poem um, that, that he's just, the head of Ramsey's just sitting in the sand and it's, it's like, you know, just deteriorating. So the straw, this clay, um, it all just goes away. That's all I wanted to say. I just thought I'd bring that up. Mm-hmm. Thank you. May, may, long live the queen. God save, God save, God save the queen. But may the Lord keep Pharaoh far, far away from us. Right. And, right. and she's a benign ruler compared, you know, it's just a, a major difference. She's totally, yeah, she's, she's not even a ruler. <laughs> uh, but, but to the extent that she's a ruler, she's a, mostly a benign ruler, an expensive benign ruler. Um, okay. Um, Renee, you're still up. Rashi has yet one more thing to say on the word kosh to uh, help us understand his understanding of what this word means and doesn't mean. Can I just make a small comment, unrela- semi-related? Yeah. That it's interesting that the the pasuk that I'm reading about is eating kosh. Today is my mother's uh, 
98th birthday. Wow. Ninahora. And she ate a lot of gosh being a Holocaust survivor. So I just got me to think about the other meanings of the word lecholkash. When when you have nothing else to eat, you just eat the refuse. That yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, a happy okay. birthday to your mother. Thank you. Thank you. Kash lishon lishon likut al shem shedavar ha mit pazer hu betzarich likosh shashu karui kash b'shar mikomot. Okay. So kash uh, that is the the uh, expression of gathering. Right, and the word likut is the gerund of the PL verb lilakate, the thing which is gathered. So again, he it's it this is um go, going back to the previous comment. This is what makes me think, Joanna, that Rashi's trying to steer us away from understanding kash as a specific root, because he's saying you think kash means straw. It doesn't. Kash just means the thing which is mikushash, the thing which is gathered, just like likut. Likut doesn't mean a specific object. It just means the thing that is the object of the verb leket. And he says, that, why is what you think of kash called kash? The reason what you, uh, that you think the specific item called kash is called kash is because, I'll shame. I'll shame because that, that thing that gets scattered needs to be gathered. Right. So think, I, I couldn't think of an obvious English uh, analog to this, right? A, a a name of an object that's specific that comes from the from from a from the word that that means what it what it, what you have to do in order to get it, right? And you might think that 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 the word itself means that object, but it's just associated with it because that's the way in which you access it, right? Um, is if like, this is a terrible example because not an example. As if the word apple doesn't mean apple, it's apple somehow is related to an English root that shows, that describes how you appleize something. Ah, that's why it's called apple because you have to appleize it to get it. If someone can think of a good one, let me know. But you that's quiz, what I, you quiz what's that? A quiz. A quiz, say more. Um, you take a quiz, but you're quizzing somebody. Yeah. But there, both of those words mean actually the same thing, meaning it's not like when you hear the word quiz, you know it means quiz because someone's quizzing you. I'm trying to think of um, a product where we think the name is specific to that product, but it's only it, it got that name because of a more general action. Um, if it, but maybe one will come to me. Um, so I'm not sure quiz fits in the same category, even though yes, there you can quiz is a good English example of where the object and the and the verb match each other, right? How about mine and minerals? What about something like Kleenex? <laughs> so mine and minerals, I actually had no idea that was those were related. Are those related, Larry? Are they called minerals because you mine them? I'm not sure which I'm not sure which came first. In fact, it may well be that the, the 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 word to mine came from minerals but i'll look it up and let you know okay it's something like that kleenex i think you're talking barbara about things that uh became uh the 
the word that was used, even though originally it came from a particular um, Xerox to yeah, Xerox. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Okay. So So how did the word kosh for straw for this kind of kosh to drink? How how did that become kosh from was there any relation to this kosh? Yeah, what Rashi would say, haha, because Rashi never heard of a plastic straw was the th- the the byproduct of part of the agricultural process or the leftovers that you think of a straw is called straw because in order to get them, you have to straw them. That analogy only works if the word to straw meant that in English, right? And once kosh also meant the specific thing called the straw, well, what does a straw, what what does straw on a field look like? The the elements- Right, they look very similar. Yeah, very similar. So then in modern Hebrew, ah, what are we gonna call this? We'll call it a kosh, right? But originally it's because it meant that thing had to be mikushash, had to be gathered. And what do you think he means? Karui kash bisha'ar mekomot. That's the last thing that Rashi says. After he says that it's called it because it is spreads out, he says it is karui kash bisha'ar mekomot. What does that mean? In other places. It's called kash that? in other places. Other places. Why does he have to say that? What's he adding? Of course it's called kash in other places. I don't know. Maybe lechol kash. You know, when people eat the the the... the Bidui or whatever it's called. I don't know what the English translation of it is, but when the phrase lechol kash, it doesn't mean literally you eat straw, but it means it uh, figuratively, I guess, right? Okay. So I have an answer. Yeah. Indeed, both mine and mineral come from Old French, interesting enough, and mineral comes from substance obtained by mining. Uh So it's indeed an example of what you're talking about. Because mining came first. The word for mining came first means to dig. And when you dig, what do you get? You'll get the stuff that you get from digging. Substance obtained by mining, which is what I think you were asking for. Yeah, great. Um, hold on one second. I, I, have a, I have a new computer system, and it's not letting me share my screen. So let me do that. Okay. I want to share something with you. Let's try this again. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, there's a, there is a, uh, a modern, uh, edition of the Rashi that brings us to this verse to make us understand what Rashi is saying in the last phrase. And it is connecting the word kash Renee to the root achal, but not the modern idiomatic expression, but a biblical expression or a biblical, um, um, yeah, bi- biblical idiom. This is Shirat Hayam, song by the sea. Right. So going back to verse, you mean your right hand God has great power. You mean your right hand God smashes the enemy. In your great gaon, in your great um victory, Taharos, you 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 trampled Kamecha, those who came over you, you extend your haron, your anger, your fury, yochlemo kakash, you, um, it, your anger consumes it. This is not a consuming like food, but like a devouring kakash, like straw. What, what's interesting about this verse is perhaps this is not, this, this is the word kash. Let me say it this way. In our verse, Lilkot um, kash, it, we're, we're coming upon the word in a context of gathering. So um, 
where we, you can wonder on our verse, does the kash mean the thing that is gathered or does kash mean the straw? But it's in our verse, according to Rashi, that that association is made uh, originally. In a few chapters, in chapter 15, the word kash already, I know, there's no forward or back with the Torah, but already by Exodus 15, kash is being used to mean a thing, even in a context where it's not connected to gathering, because it doesn't say that, God, your, your wrath is going to consume all of the things that are gathered. That's not what it means here. It means straw, straw. So Rashi um, basically accedes the point. He concedes the point that eventually kash means straw. But the reason it means straw is because of our verse or because of what our verse, the words in our verse mean, which is that this is stuff which is tends to be gathered. When all is said and done, have we... Uh, illuminated ourselves that much about the story of the Israelites and slave in Egypt? No, but we know a little bit more about the root kufshin or kufshin shin. But maybe uh, because of the word kosh, because of the straw part, because it's straw and it's such a difficult thing, that that's where the lechol kosh came from. You know, because it's lechol kosh is when you do something that's difficult, right? In modern Hebrew? Yeah. Yeah, and it's also interesting the, to wonder whether... Um, um, kash and koshesh are related to kashe at all, which means hard. Um, I'm not sure if that's, that, that might just be a coincidence. Uh, Barry? Yeah, I would just request that uh, we end on the um, historical note that the uh, our Israelites, we have become an industrial nation uh, as a result of this. And uh, we're we're uh, in, we're coming into the story in a, a new uh, organ organizational perspective structure than we were previously. We're we're stronger. The Israelites in the scene are stronger as a result of yeah that yeah be, 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 because now we are developing an industrial scale of activity. We we have to we have to have gatherers. Yeah. We have to have collectors. We have to have an organization and way of providing all these large amounts of collected uh, straw pieces to the place where the bricks are made. So we, we are now an industrial or uh, society uh, yeah. rather than a bunch of farmers who are given straw to make bricks. Right. And how common is that right throughout history in, in large and small examples where the very crucible into which an individual or community is put that seems to be more onerous than the previous situation? Um, refines them, strengthens them, hardens them, right? I think we've mentioned this several times, this um, this notion of interregnum in uh, Eastern Europe between World War I and World War II. Uh, one of my professors at Columbia, Professor Michael Stanislavski, summed up interregnum by saying in Russia, it was great for the Jews and terrible for Judaism. In Poland, it was terrible for Jews and wonderful for Judaism, right? There was very little oppression in, um, in, in, in for, for the Jewish individuals in Russia between the two world wars as the Russians were trying to russify the Jews through the Evsektsia, I think it was called. Um, so actually they lightened the uh, the communal oppression and they um, actually got in the way of the pogroms. But as a result, there was a flattening out and a diluting of Jewish expression where in, as in Poland, it was not at all easy to be a Jew. Even before Nazism came up, it was not at all easy to be a Jew interregnum. Uh, they would be, the, the Polish version of anti-Semitism was, was present and there were restrictions um, even before the Nuremberg laws were instituted and it created a crucible from which we had the greatest 
concentration of Jewish cultural flourishing that we've probably ever experienced, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes a system is strengthened when it is stressed. In fact, mm -hmm. if you want to get a preview about a high holiday sermon that I might give, I've been thinking about it a long time, I was reading a book that is valorizing the idea of chosen suffering, mm -hmm. right? Not, not suffering imposed upon mm -hmm. you, but how psychologically and even physiologically, when we choose to engage in short-term bearable suffering and discomfort that on a cellular level and on a psychological level is probably making us healthier, right? This is not to be a, a masochist. This is not to um, self-abnegate, but when it comes to uh, periods that we're, you know, push, pushing yourself in exercise, not to the breaking point, but past where it's comfortable right? Uh, pushing yourself in meditation, not where you lose a sense of self, but where um, it's, you have to work hard to get there. Uh, the whole notion of intermittent fasting, right? The, I think the healthier version of intermittent fasting would suggest oh that it's probably good for a body to go a lot of hours uh, in between consuming calories. And in that waiting, not, not unbearable waiting, there's actually something happening on the cellular level that is strengthening your cells. So that's far afield a little bit, but it reminded me of this as we talked about um, uh, Barry's comment that in this oppression that the Pharaoh is trying to put on to make it worse for Israelites, he might actually be strengthening them, strengthening them for the very exodus that's about to come. Okay. Um, let's go forward. Verse uh, 13. Let's get a new uh, reader. Um, Carol, can you read today? Yes, fully One. present. <laughs> okay. The Hanogshim at Simle Mor, Kalu Maasechem Devaryom Biyomo, Kaasher Bihiot Hateven. And I also often mispronounce this when I lane it because my mouth wants to say Nogshim, but it's actually Nogsim. It's a sin. Oh, right? Nogsim. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I, I do not know what Atsim is. The, the taskmasters were. I have no idea. It's a very rare Hebrew word. Look at Uncleus. What does Uncleus say? I do not have Uncleus. Ah, okay. Uncleus translates it as dachakin, dochak. Anyone know what dochak means? It's not to pressure or something? Yeah, to pressure or to push, right? Um, in fact, in halacha, you sometimes can make a ruling that's a little bit lenient more lenient than you would in another situation because it's shat hadchak. It's a pressurized situation. I'll pull up. Um, I, I pull up atzim on BDB. Hold on one second. You'll see the verb. Um, where'd you go? Okay. So the root is. If you look up under atz, you won't find it. If you look at utz, you will find it. So utz to press, to be pressed, make haste. Now that's an important thing. Because biblical Hebrew, the, the we would know there's a difference between speed and pressure. You you don't necessarily want to be um, forced into either, right? To be forced to go quicker, and to be forced to be stressed or pressed, are 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 similar, but they're not the same word. They're not the same meaning. But according to the BDB, the root the root uts can mean both of those things, right? Um, we have. Uh, three times the word atzim, including our verse right here, to press hasten, to be pressed confined, uh, 
something having to do with the relationship between speed and pressure. Okay, so now try to translate that. Okay, so well, so okay, the taskmasters press the, press them saying, um, and I don't know what kalu. I can't figure vayichu, out kalu. Vayichulu, kol. What um, when when it says vayichulu hashemayim? What does that root mean? Um, vayichulu hashemayim ba'aretz v'cholz v'am. To com- to complete. Finish. I was gonna say finish. To... Finish complete. It's from okay. the word kol to to make it whole, right? To okay. to holify, right? As it were, right? Okay, so they they the taskmasters uh, were pressing them, saying, um, uh, "Finish, finish your work. Every devar yom bayomo every every day in its day." Something like that. It's very um, hard to render it into easy English, particularly because we don't know what the word devar means here. But something like. A thing per day on its day, something like uh, that. Kind of, I'm saying like like when you, what when you had the straw. Correct. I mean, when the straw was provided, I'm assuming is what it's implying. Correct. Which is a, uh, kind of a parallel to what the what Pharaoh had um, instructed them to say, right? So, um, have the recording. Right. The quote. The quota. The quota is the same. Uh, and I'll just, uh, we'll just look at Uncleus, um, although Uncleus is going to kind of give away a little bit of Rashi. Let's look at Uncleus a little bit. Um, he translates the Nogsim, the taskmasters, as Shiltonaya, a Shilton as a ruler. Dachakin, they pressed, Lememar saying. Ashlimu, right here you have in Aramaic an easier word than in Hebrew, right? Kalu might be unfamiliar, but Ashlimu from Lashalem to complete. Ashlimu, Ovadechon, your work. Pitgam yom biyome. Pitgam in Aramaic is the same as davar in Hebrew, and that it both means thing and word. Here it means thing, right? A thing on its day, a thing per day on its day, kemad havitun, as it had been for you, avdin kad ityahav lachun tivna, when the when the grain had been given to you. So he in in Aramaic he spells out the last phrase a little more clearly, right? The Kashir biyota tevin is very generic, as it was, um, as when the when the straw was. Well, when the straw was what? Uncleus adds it when the straw when the straw had been given to you. Um, J, uh, Everett Fox translates this verse, but the slave drivers pressed them hard, saying, "Interesting." We'll talk about why he says the word "but" here, because you know it's not obvious to trans put in a "but" here. But the slave, slave drivers pressed them hard, saying, finish your tasks, each day's workload in its day. That's how he does Devar Yom Biyomo. Each day's workload in its day, as when there was straw. Okay? Um, so let's linger on this. Questions on the verse, comments, before we look at Rashi? Oh, thanks, Joel. That's the only other use of that root in all of Torah? Huh. Okay. Yeah, there's others in... Um... Great. So they worked hard, regardless of whether it was the straw that they were gathering. That any all the other, all the other tasks that they were doing, they it worked equally as hard as when they were gathering uh, kosh. Say that again. That all of the things that they were doing, all of the work assignments that they had each day, they had they were working equally as hard in those tasks. As they were working when it was when it was the kosh, 
Yeah, and they had to produce the same amount, the same quota as when they had been given the basic instruments, and now they're not being given the basic. So they ate a lot of kosh. Yes, Joanna. Um, so I think the but is really interesting because if the if um, verse fourteen starts with but, then it's relational to verse 13. So then what do you make of that? You mean 12 and, and 13, I think not 13, 14. Oh, sorry, 12 and 13, right? Sorry, 12 and 13. If 13 starts with but, then it's relational to 12. Um, and, um, and then, so, you know, I'm thinking about like some of the stories I've heard about, you know, when African-Americans were enslaved and like one of their favorite things were, you know, the opportunities that they had to be on an errand away from the house because then they had a moment of freedom. So 12 taken a little bit out of context could possibly be understood as like, oh, they had a moment to breathe. They got to go all over Mitzrayim and they had a moment to breathe. And then the taskmasters come and they say, uh, 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 you don't go, get to go spread out all over Mitzrayim and take a moment to breathe and now make a case that you need time to, to collect straw. You know, hurry up. You know, your job is even ha harder now. You've got to come back and produce the same amount. That's a, that's a great comment, Joanna. And I think that that is a proper interpretation of Everett Fox's interpretation of these verses, right? Because if you read them as a couplet, and it's, it, it, it wouldn't have been my instinct at all. The people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt, gathering stubble, gathering for straw. But the slave drivers pressed them hard, saying, finish your task, each day's work in its day as, the, as when there was straw. Your comment brought me back to, to me, one of the worst scenes in 12 Years of Slave. I'm assuming most of you have seen that movie, where the with a character played by Lupita Nyong'o, I think that's her name, um, the, one of the female slaves on the plantation where uh, Solomon is working. Um, and like the, the, she's, quote unquote, the favorite of that slave owner, but it's not a good thing to be a favorite of a slave owner. And she's missing one day and she comes walking back into the plantation and he lays into her and ultimately whips her in, in one of the more devastating scenes you'll ever see in a cinema. And where had she been? She had gone to a neighboring plantation to see if she could find a, uh, like a, a, a tiny piece of soap so she could wash herself um, and be slightly less disgusting to herself and to others, right? So she's, it, it, it's not a perfect analog because she's not, her, 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 her journey was not forced upon her by the oppressor to make her job worse, but she's understanding it as taking care of a basic need. And he is the slave owner is understanding it as her, as if she's gallivanting, right? And she's, you know, she's on a little vacation to go find a tiny piece of soap so she can wash herself. It's awful, awful, awful scene. But that's what uh, it brought me to when you read Everett Fox that way. Of course, you don't have to, if you, it, so let's do the opposite. If, if, if there's no but, if, if, if verse 13 does not begin with a but, but just Directly, the people scattered throughout all the land, gathering stubble, gatherings for straw. The slave drivers pressed them hard, saying, finish your tasks. It's a slightly, it, it's, it's a, it, there's less contrast between those two verses. And then verse 13 is simply saying, yeah, that's the situation. They were gathering. And while they were gathering, the taskmaster is saying, okay, finish up, because you still have just as much work to do as you had to do yesterday, except now you're starting later in the day. And you're starting later today because you had to go gather straw. Good. Um, 
Anyone else on this before we look at Rashi? Okay. Um, Carol, you have a one word um, Rashi. Atzim. Atzim Dohakim. Okay. Uh, they're pressing them. Pressing them. So I want to show you something. Uh, let's see if I can find put it up here. Yeah. Okay. Because Rashi here is either saying something or nothing. And we always try to assume that he's saying something. So either this is this is Rashi and this is the Sifte Chachamim, which is a commentary on Rashi. Either Rashi is simply just translating. Ah, you don't know that root reader because um, there's only one other use of it in all of Torah. Ah, I'll tell you what it means. I'm just defining terms. Dochakim. According to the Sifte Chachamim, even in this one word Rashi, he's not just telling you what it means. He's also making sure you don't think it means something else. Rotzelamar, which is say, Kadeshaloti for Shu that you don't uh, interpret oto it, lemor or lashon, mihirut, so that you don't interpret as meaning speed. So I hear the Sifte Chachamim, who obviously are living way before the BDB, but understands Hebrew the way we do, saying, ah, this is not that Rashi didn't think that you knew the word. It's that Rashi thinks you know the word means two different things. You know the word means to press, to pressure, and the word means to hurry. And while they're related, not the same thing. So he says, reader, which version of atzim does it mean here? Specifically press, not hurry. This was not about go faster. This was just laying on of authority, right? Like the presence of the taskmaster is itself oppressive, right? Even if the taskmaster is not saying go and finish this quicker, that's what the atz here means. Um, anyone ever go, anyone go up in a, uh, um, in a house in which utzing was a Yiddishized word, right? What, is, what did Utzing mean, Alan, in your house? You're muted. You got to unmute, Alan. We don't hear you. Hang on. Yeah. You're muted again. There you go. Nope. Now you're muted again. Again. Okay. I'm unmuted. Okay. The, um, the Utz is like, like encourage you, constantly reminding you, haranguing you almost. Is you're Utzing you to do this. It, it can sometimes mean encourage. Those, uh, it was Utz, you're Utzing, you're, you're, you're reminding, saying, do it, do it, do it already. Correct. Utzing you to do it. Correct. I grew up with that sense of Utzing, like, uh, and I have, and I wonder if that Yiddish Utzing is related to Atzim here, to pressure, to push, right? Utzing also, my mother used it to mean to complain. Like if I was being, if I was in a whiny mood, she'd say, why are you Utzing? Which is not the same thing. Um, and, and, and who knows how these words actually end up meaning what they mean in a particular family or culture, independent of the, of the raw etymology. But I'm glad I'm not the only one who was utzed as a kid. Okay, <laughs> Alan, your hand was up anyway. Yes, there was, uh, there was I, I wanted to, uh, something I just realized about the, the, the verse that it's the, uh, in 12, that it's the, it's the Noxim, the Egyptian people that are, that are, do, are, are initially starting it, but it's the Shotrim, that tell them the 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 Israelite show dream that are telling them to um, uh, 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 w- what to do more. So I think it, it may that differentiation may be may be supportive of that that vid doesn't mean and but but. Yeah, and we'll get into that more in the next verse. Whether we get to it today or next week, if you look back on at verse 10, which was last week or two weeks ago, that we've got these Nogsei Ha'am and the Shotrav. Right. And it seems to be 
that the Nogsei Ha'am went out and had gotten the word from Pharaoh, but somehow the Shotrav, the, maybe the layer right below, which might have been Israelites, are the ones who are actually telling the Israelites what's happening and telling what they do. And it's in verse 13 that it's back to the Nogsim, the Egyptians, who are putting pressure on them. And then in the next verse, not to, you know, spoiler alert, something is going to happen to the Shotrim, not to the Nogsim, who are not doing their job as Pharaoh wants them to do. Right. Um, okay. So, Carol, next comment on um, on Devar uh, Yom I mean, first of all, I'm not understanding what the problem is if we use Atsim both ways, because one implies the other. If you're pressuring them to get more done, they're going to have to go faster. They're going to have to make haste. So I'm not under, I'm not really understanding what the deal is if we thought it was both or. Yeah, that is an, that is a good and unanswerable question. Meaning if, if Sifte Chachamim is correct. That what Rashi means when Rashi says that Atsim means Dochakim is that he means it does not mean Mimaharim. Then we have the question, why is that important for Rashi to communicate to us? I don't know. Um, Either it's pure etymological purity and pristineness. He wants us to know exactly how roots, what roots mean in different situations. Or there's something about the contours of the story that suggests that the impact of the Utzing and the Dochaking is obviously that they're going to have to move faster, but what the taskmasters are not saying is schnell, schnell, fast, fast, but just exerting an enormous amount of pressure on them, right? So the impact of the pressure might be speed, but for some reason it's important for Rashi to say that that maybe it's a more general um, um, oppression, more general burden, right? It's one thing if someone who has authority over you says, do it quicker. It's another thing if someone has authority over you, looms over you, makes it very clear that they're not yet satisfied with what you're doing, makes it very clear what your obligations are. You're going to feel both the pressure to do it quickly and, and, and also just the pressure of having your supervisor, you know, staring over your, over your shoulder. I think I've shared before that I once went this great study that when someone is watching you type, uh, even if it's not your boss, your incidence of mistakes that you're typing goes up by 30 to 40%. Right? So when someone is is utzing you, even the most mild way, in the most benign way, you're pressured, right? And your pressured is going to lead you to speed, but it also might lead you to error. So maybe what Rashi is saying is here, yeah, that it, it, of course they're going to have to go quicker, but it's a more generic utzing that's going on here. They're just saying quick, quick, quick. Joel? Another interpretation is that they weren't going slowly. They were just trying to be more efficient. They were going to go out and collect all the straw from wherever and like seven days of straw and come back and create seven days of brick. And the taskmaster say, no, every day you have to come back with that day's quota. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, Norm, thanks for that uh, German Yiddish. I wonder about that because I, I don't know that German uh, route, so I'm reliant on you. But then there's a jump. If Utz, Utz, Utz in, in Yiddish, in German means to tease, then how it's used, at least in, in Jewish families who, who, who use Yiddish, uh, have, have changed its meaning. But that certainly could be the source of it. Good. Uh, all right, Carol, Dvar Yom Biomo. Okay, Dvar Yom Biomo. V'cheshbon shokol yom kalubiomo ka'asher asitem bihyot hateven muchan. Um, so the the quota 
the quota of each day will be finished in that day. Um, uh, read it as an imperative. Calubiomo, finish, finish it. Okay. Finish in that day. Um, uh, as you did, as you did when the uh, straw was uh, was was given was already was given to you and already prepared. Sort of, Correct. That's awkward. Correct. On the one hand, Rashi is saying nothing new because we knew that's exactly what the new ordinance meant. I wonder if he's adding something else here in the specificity of Dvaryom Biomo, and it's it's on my mind because I was talking to some rabbinical schools. Uh, we took our interns out for dinner last night to celebrate their their year with us. And some of them have finished, you know, the school year is over, but some of them have finished all of their obligations. And some of them have, uh, what do you call it when not, not do-overs? Um, what's the English word when you're, when you have an assignment that's you're still obligated to do after the semester is over? Make, um, makeups. What is it? Makeups. Makeups. But there's another word for it that I can't think of it right now. Extensions. Um, extensions. Right. So, so there's some who are taking extensions. They haven't finished it. Right. Meaning, Eventually, you have to catch up, but you can choose when you want to stress yourself, right? If you want, if, if you need to go a little bit easy these days, it might mean that you're going to have to be more stressed later because you still have to produce, um, or you're going to have to be stressed like doubly while you're, you know, doing your summer job and you're still completing your work, but you're not a slave. That's up to you, right? Um, Ziegler gives extensions. Some universities do not, by the way, right? You actually have to fin finish it. I wonder if Rashi's saying that here. It's not just that you're going to have more burdens, right? You had the burden of make of, of of turning the bricks into buildings. Now you have the burden of make of collecting the straw to make to make the bricks. It's not just that, but every individual day there will be an accounting before you put your head on your uncomfortable pillow at night. You will have to account for the fact. Of of having completed both parts of that every single view. Cheshbon shall kolyom kalubiomo every individual day completed. Kashir asitem biotetevin. We didn't give you an extension before you had to find your own straw, and we're not giving you an extension now. You can't say you're going to rest a little bit today and work twice as hard tomorrow. That's yet another oppressive way that someone who has authority can wield control over over someone's burdens and obligations. I offer that as a maybe. He might just be saying ah. It's a weird phrase. What it means is what we knew it meant, which was that the taskmaster said, you still have to complete every day's work, um, even though you have more of it to do. Okay. Um, let me pause here a second. Um, I have to leave two minutes early anyway, because I have to go somewhere else in the building for a 930 appointment. Um, pretty soon, we're going to have a decision to make as a, as a class. Uh, for the 2021-2022 school year, Beth Am basically made the decision happily, proudly, that for the most part, school got claim to every indoor space um, and certainly every outdoor space, uh, actually more outdoor space than indoor space because there was no more important institutional um, goal as we came into this part of the COVID era than to make have school operate. And so many things were comfortable happening on Zoom, we decided to perpetuate them. So uh, we have evening classes. We've been having evening classes outdoors at Betham, but regular weekday in-person classes had continued on Zoom, partially to honor the fact that Pilch wasn't available, right? Nor was nor were a lot of the places in the field because the school really spread out and used everything. And partially because most of you told me that you weren't necessarily comfortable meeting in person 
either. School is about to be over, right? Which puts us, puts, puts us at a decision point. I, I hope you all agree with me that while it is wonderful that you all can do this from the comfort of your home, and I think we're always going to be making Zoom a possibility because uh, we love the fact that Joanna and others join us from wherever they are in the world, and I, I don't think we're going backwards on that. I hope you'd all agree with me that at some point in the indefinite future, our studying together in person is a goal, right? Um, it's a weird time to be talking about this because on some level, numbers are COVID, the numbers of COVID incidents are higher than they had been when further restrictions in place, but society somehow doesn't seem to be nearly as sick as it was back then. And, you know, we're going in and out of, of, of masking regulations, things like that. I'm wondering, I don't want answers now, but I'd be interested in people um, sending me emails with their thoughts about whether or not we want to experiment this summer as soon as school is over. Camp Keshet uses much yes, less campus space than school does. On school days, there are 550 kids on our campus. Camp Keshet, you know, the most are about 120 kids on campus. Do we want to experiment starting maybe third week in June with this group meeting back in person, either outdoors, which would mean we'd have to mix ask facility staff to find us an outdoor space. Zoom would be set up. Um, or, and I'm comfortable with this, but I'm only comfortable if you are, indoors, right? Meeting in Pilch, those who want to mask can mask. If there is a new uh, indoor mask obligation imposed on this campus, which there isn't yet, but we're discussing it, then we'd all have to be masked. Um, do we want to try that? Um, to me, it only makes sense to try it if most people are in person, meaning I'm going to be comfortable with teach, hybrid teaching in person it, even if there, if there are one or two people that were zooming out to the world, great. But uh, I don't want to be in a long-term situation where we have 10 people in person, 10 people on Zoom. It's very hard to interact that way, right? Um, Joanna and others will always be welcome in this class. But uh, once we go back to in-person, just the, the focus of the energy of the room is going to be in, uh, in person. So if most people in this class are comfortable with that, I think it's worth experimenting. If we're still about half-half, then we probably shouldn't make that move. So think about that. If you have strong thoughts about it, let me know. And maybe next week's class, we'll leave a little more time to even discuss it um, and share. We could start this, like next week is the last week of school. So two weeks from today, there's plenty of place on Temple Bethlehem's campus outdoors and indoors for us to meet, okay? Uh, any questions of what I said? I mean, I'm not interested in, in, the, in the comments yet, but any questions of what I said? Okay. So um, let's call it, because the next verse is a long verse. We wouldn't even be able to read and translate the whole verse. Let's call it here. We'll pick up the beginning of verse 14 next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.